Welcome to the Front Page Podcast, presented by The Red and Black. I'm Assistant Podcast Editor and Host Jim Bass, and this week we are talking all about the Georgia midterm elections coming on November 8th. From candidates to key topics and diversity in the runners, we will have a preview of it all. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Hello, everyone. Coming into the studio, we have Aaron Deal, election reporter for the Red and Black, to talk all about the election coming up, and she will be talking about everything you need to know before Election Day. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess first of all, you know, speaking speaking in like uh, general basics, what positions are being voted on statewide for this year, and uh, who are the candidates for those positions? So, of course, there are the main election races that people are focusing on: Governor Stacey Abrams versus Brian Kemp. The senatorial race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. But then there are also lesser known ones, such as state house and senate races with Houston Gaines versus Mocha Jasmine Johnson or um, Andrew Ferguson versus the majority leader, Bill Cowsert. Um, and then there's also state superintendent, um, secretary of state, which has been a big point of contention within Georgia, especially in lieu of the 2020 election. And also Attorney General, Department of Labor, Commissioner, lots of different positions to be voted on on this ballot. Well, that's a lot of positions, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of positions up for grabs uh, and plenty of them being contested as well with Georgia recently turning blue in 2020. Mm -hmm. I know that is a very uh, it's it's considered a swing state now. Uh, Well, Stacey Abrams recently visited and hosted a a virtual roundtable with uh, different writers for college newspapers here in Georgia, uh, including red and black uh, writers. Uh, What was the purpose of this event and what points did Abrams want voters to know about her stances? Yes. So Stacey Abrams invited a couple of different writers from various schools. There was UGA, obviously, Georgia Tech, uh, Spelman College, all across the board, public and private institutions. And... I had the opportunity of attending, and I think Stacey Abrams was trying to appeal to younger voters since they tend to have a harder turnout at the polls. Um, so she really emphasized her five man points, which is healthcare and specifically expanding Medicare or Medicaid, excuse me, and um, affordable housing, women's reproductive rights, voter freedoms, and just making sure that Georgia is a more equitable state. So she was trying to appeal to those younger voters or in those college towns to really get out to the polls and vote. And she also emphasized that, you know, I would like you to vote for me, but I'd rather you be informed and know about the issues as this race is critical to Georgia's history. Yeah, absolutely. And this governor's race is very heated right now. Um, Both both sides Mm -hmm. have a lot at stake. And do you know what Brian Kemp is doing as well to what is his, what is his uh, main positions? What, are, what is he trying to say to the public as well? Yes. So Brian Kemp has been less vocal on the media standpoint um, in terms of college voters. I believe that that's due to him being the incumbent and still holding his position. But he, of course, has been very outspoken about his support of the heartbeat bill and being very pro-life. Also, um, open carry has been a very important thing on his ticket. He still supports lots of freedoms for the Second Amendment. um, And he just really wants to expand voter confidence in Georgia. As 
many Georgians know, he stood up against former President Trump and defended the voter integrity within the state, uh, stood up for Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State. And Brian Kemp still runs on the conservative values, but he still is representing his state and not his party, I guess, his yeah. position in his state. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, I mean, he is coming in as an incumbent, which mm -hmm. would you consider that to be uh, a little bit of an advantage on his end? Because this was the same election that happened in 2018 with the two where he narrowly won. Would you say that's an advantage to him in the future? But from what, from the people I've spoken with, I believe that is an advantage. Um, Stacey Abrams has almost outspent him two to one, and she's really, from the individuals I've spoken to, they believe they used her loss as a positive. She took that loss and didn't sit back, let it, you know, marinate. She took it full force and decided to really work for Georgians, come back in 2022. Um, but Brian Kemp does have a record, and he was Secretary of State. He's been in Georgia politics. And even though Georgia flipped blue, Georgia still is a very conservative state, and especially in more rural areas. Brian Kemp does have a lot of those supporters, and his record has been including some bipartisan measures, and I think that appeals to more moderate voters. So I believe just having an actual list of events on his behalf, whereas um, Stacey Abrams was the minority leader in the Georgia House, but it's been a while since she's held that public office. So his more recent experiences are in the fresh in the minds of Georgians when they vote. So uh, recently, this past month, we had uh, the Day of Labor rally. Uh, could you talk a little bit about this event and this race and what it, what it meant and what it was going for? Of course. So there were several Democratic candidates there, including Andrew Ferguson, who's running for state Senate against Bill Cowser, who is a 16-year incumbent and also the majority leader. So stands up against somebody with a lot of political experience and a reputation within Georgia but he, Ferguson, has worked with the Democratic Party within Athens and really wants to stand up and prove that he is working for these voters. Um, and his line is that Bill Cowser drew his own map. So Athens and Georgia as a whole redistricted within the past year, and he believes that his opponent has redrawn these districts to favor him. And there have also been speculation amongst voters that these are less beneficial to minority voters. Um, so Andrew Ferguson was really running on that. And they partnered with the Department of Labor and their Democratic candidate, William Bodie, who served in the state house currently. And Mr. Bodie is running against a Republican and just really wants to hone that he is from a labor union household he knows the importance. He knows what it's like to band together and get those fair wages, get those adequate working conditions. And um, then there was Mocha Jasmine Johnson, who's running for state house against Houston Gaines, who is the incumbent. And she, again, um, knows she came from poverty. She was a Jamaican immigrant when she was six and thinks that those workers work really hard and are not well supported by our government that these wages aren't high enough so a lot of them want to raise it to a $15 minimum and then there have also been conversations about raising 
wages amongst teachers um, as teachers are underpaid, underfunded. Um, so they worked alongside these labor unions um, and the Department of Labor to get more awareness for um, increasing these wages and working alongside the Department of Labor within the next cycle. Um, thinking more on a local scale, um, Athens uh, County Commissioner Mariah Parker um, actually recently resigned for, for multiple reasons. She posted on Twitter. What question has this resignation raised, and can you talk more about this, the redistricting in Athens specifically? Absolutely. So when Commissioner Parker resigned, there were lots of questions whether the District 2 seat would be voted on on November 8th or whether it would be pushed to a later date. So when they resigned, they didn't leave a lot up to the Board of Elections. They just stepped down, did what's best for them, um, and the citizens of District 2 have responded with much frustration, as far as I understand. Um, there was recently a Board of Elections meeting, and the board decided to push the vote to March of 2023, which would leave District 2 unrepresented, unrepresented for a few months. Um, so many of those individuals have been requesting tax breaks or seeing who would be in the position to run. Um, in terms of redistricting, Melissa Link was the District 3 commissioner, and she lost her seat in redistricting. But with the new districts, she would be in District 2. So a lot of the residents of District 2 don't agree with that. They think it's just a way for her to get back into politics, to take back her power in some sense. Um, so the candidates are still up in the air. The um, process for getting those um, nominations hasn't started yet, but the election won't take place on Election Day this year. It will be pushed to a later date. Okay, And that's going to be like a special election mm -hmm. type style? Yes. Okay. Um, and with another topic that it's relevant to Athens uh, specifically, I know housing is a major issue right now, um, availability of housing and, mm -hmm. and affordable housing well, around the nation, you know, rents continuing to rise in, in major cities. Is there any candidate statewide that is looking to focus on this issue specifically or, or is there anyone working to working to help out with that? Yes. So Stacey Abrams has been very vocal about her fight to support affordable housing um, at that roundtable you mentioned. And then also she was in Athens the week prior. She spoke about how inflation is increasing these housing prices and then also just the cost of living is much higher than it used to be and it's not sustainable for a lot of people. So she wants to raise the minimum wage to help combat that um, so people can afford to live in these better places and then also advocate for these lower income individuals and try to get more affordable housing, but also still having that housing be safe and supported. And then on the local level, um, a lot of the candidates in specific, um, Andrew Ferguson and Mocha Jasmine Johnson, have been also advocating for those um, fairer wages, increasing that minimum wage to be able to afford this. Uh, Mocha Jasmine Johnson spoke about how she had COVID previously and was wor worried that she employs three people at her nonprofit, was worried that they wouldn't get to 
have that money that week to put the food on their table to work. And so she has spoken about this personally and knows how important this is for Athenians and believes that her opponent doesn't care as much that their degree of wealth isn't related to her constituents or potential constituents. Um, So these candidates have really spoken about partnering with labor unions, advocating for these increased um, worker benefits. Um, In terms of public housing, I'm not sure what their exact platform is to um, increase housing, but they definitely do want to advocate for lower prices and um, just maintaining a quality standard of living that's attainable for most people. So also, I wanted to talk about um, the voting law uh, SB 202 that was put in place early last year uh, by Governor Kemp that, you know, some people considered uh, as restricting voting for some areas. And it was considered kind of a controversial law and left many people frustrated on voting availability in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Will that law play a factor in, on Election Day? Because this is going to be the biggest election since that law has passed. And I also wanted to ask how this law affects Athens specifically for this election cycle. Yes. So the voters I've spoken to, um, I actually spoke with one today. She is affiliated with a group that deals with the disabled community and helping them get out to the polls and vote. So SB 202 would limit their these disabled voters' ability to talk directly to a um, member of the voter registration team and avoid these lines, which many of them cannot stand in these lines, cannot do the typical election day procedures. So also the SB 202 or the Election Integrity Act would make the process of getting absentee ballots a little harder. So these absentee ballots in particular for the disabled community or for seniors used to be, to my understanding, directly sent to these individuals, whereas now you just have to start from scratch and apply. Um, These applications are open now, and the applications, I believe, run through October, but with uncertainty of mailing, it's hard sometimes to tell whether it will get here before or after Election Day. So the Board of Elections and Secretary of State recommend applying for those ballots as soon as possible and like I said applications are open now so go to those websites and apply if you want to submit an absentee ballot but also I believe this is kind of going off the topic but there is some distrust in absentee ballots but the board of elections and those working on these races have affirmed that these elections are fair and equitable and regardless of the type of ballot these people are putting in procedures that will make it the best as possible and you know, represent the democracy and the ability to cast a vote. So um, SB 202 would not help a lot of people facing adversity for this election, but it's not as big of an impact. There's still some um, discussion about whether it will be further implemented in future elections. Uh, so that's still something that many individuals are fighting for. Absolutely. And um, that kind of leads me to my last uh, question I wanted to ask you about, mm-hmm. which is just in general, you know, uh, people, I feel like some people um, find it really hard to find out all the information about voting and, you know, like 
how to vote and uh, the options you have, mm-hmm. when and where. Could you tell me a little bit about the, you know, like, you know, when, when is election day and, and what are the options you can, you can vote for and, and like when you can vote and like mm-hmm. the deadlines to register and things like that? Absolutely. So election day is Tuesday, November 8th and early voting has opened. Um, so you can go on athens Clark County website, the Board of Elections website, and they will have the criteria to qualify to be an early voter. Also, as I mentioned, absentee ballots. That's a really easy way if you're, say, a college student, a disabled voter, a senior voter, somebody who works and can't take time off to go to the polls. That's a very good way to still get your voice into the government. And there are articles on the red and black that have further instruction about how to do that. And then also just the Secretary of State's website is an excellent resource. It holds your hand throughout the entire process, which many people may think is daunting, but they know how important voting is and how there have been restrictions to many voters in the past. So just getting there, putting your vote in, very important. So for voting in Georgia, there are registration deadlines. So in person and online and by mail due dates are October 11th, which is approaching soon. And then also the absentee ballot deadline is October 28th. However, sometimes the mail is uncertain and getting those resources is not always an exact science. So many people who work to get these registrations in place recommend that you do it as soon as possible just so your ballot doesn't arrive after election day just to have everything in check in case there's you know your broadband doesn't work you can't vote online that exact day or your mail gets lost something along those lines just making sure you have that ballot because every person deserves to vote and have that vote cast absolutely absolutely Well, that's pretty much all I had. Is there anything you'd like to say before I let you go? Uh, Just get out and vote. It's really important, and especially for the college kids out there, it's um, your voice still matters, too, so go to the polls. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Erin. Thank you. Coming into the studio, we have DEI chair and newsletter editor of The Red and Black, and also a reporter of the Georgia Asian Times, Libby Hobbs, to talk more about the election coming up in regards to the Asian American Pacific Islander, or AAPI, uh, candidates, and the diversity of the election candidates in general. Welcome to the studio, Libby. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, uh, first, I wanted to uh, ask you about the AAPI candidates that are uh, running. Um, how many are running for office, and, and who are the big names to look out for? Yeah, well, in Georgia history, this is the most Asian candidates that we've ever had. So I can't tell you an exact number, although I'm pretty sure there's at least 11 on the Republican side. But for my article, I interviewed six. And those six names, we have three Republicans and three Democrats. Uh, the three Republicans are Marita's Redding of House District 37, Sue Hong of House District 103, John Chan running for House District 97, and then the three Democrats are Long Tran running for House District 80, Nabila Islam running for State Senate, and Rua Roman running for House District 97. Now, what are, the, what are some of the uh, notable experiences that these candidates have shared over, over time? Yeah, so as I was interviewing them, um, 
I realized that there was a unique experience that each of them had in common. All of them are either born of immigrant parents or are immigrants themselves. And there's actually some overlap within that. So, for example, uh, Rua Roman actually immigrated here um, herself when she was young. Um, And she's on the Democrat uh, side. But often um, the Republican candidates are the ones that have immigrated here themselves, escaping, for example, communist China or um, other living situations in the countries that they were born in. And then usually we see that the Democrats are first generation immigrants. So, for example, Nabila Islam and uh, Long Tran, um, their parents were the ones that immigrated here. And so what this sets up is a unique perspective between Republicans and Democrats, uh, because if the Republicans are the ones that usually uh, immigrated here themselves, they came here looking for this American dream. And typically what they're seeing now um, on the uh, specifically Asian American Republican candidates, um, they're fearing that that American dream is getting taken away from them and that their lives are starting to look more and more like um, those bad living situations that they escaped from. Whereas the Democratic candidates, typically the ones who, um, whose parents immigrated here and they are first generation immigrants, um, they are hoping for a more progressive future um, to make the situation that they grew up in better for the new generation of immigrants. I know you said um, that they, they do all have shared experiences, um, and I know a lot of them focus on education as their main topic, um, but what seems to be like the top issue for either side and what seems to be uniting them in, in views as well? Yeah, so like you said, education was that important topic that united them both in addition to their shared immigrant experiences. So even though um, you see some differences between first-generation immigrants versus people who immigrated here um, like themselves, um, both of them kind of grew up seeing those differences around them and both of them value, I mean, this is why it goes back to education, but they both value making a future so that their children or the future Asian immigrants can grow up either not feeling the way that they did or having that experience that they did have. Because again, every single person has a different experience. So for example, Sue Hong uh, said that her experience as an Asian American immigrant was actually a pretty good one. Whereas Nabila Islam um, talked about growing up and maybe feeling othered in certain situations um, as a Bangladeshi in, um, in America. Um, also, uh, Rua Roman grew up uh, Palestinian and talked about how uh, she also kind of felt othered and felt very, um, it was very obvious that her being a person of color was affecting uh, how people treated her. So what unites all of them, despite these, you know, different experiences and different perspectives is their value of education and wanting to make that better for future generations. But even then, for example, Sue Hong wants um, wants to make sure that education is more, I guess, involved or at least what I interpreted as being more involved between the parents and the children and making sure um I guess things aren't being becoming indoctrinated in that sense, um, and so that children and parents have a say in what uh, in what they're being taught. Whereas Nabila Islam wants to make sure that there's public education in all zip codes, and so she's working on fully funding public education and making sure that every uh, kid has equal access in that sense. So even then, um, even though they all care about education, they they have different perspectives on how to make it better. I know they all have a big focus on education, but um, what what are some of the other key policies that they are they're all looking at? There's so many. <laughs> um, 
let me think, business is one of them. Su Hong seems to be very passionate about uh, keeping small businesses in, in good standing, but also pe- uh, people of color-owned businesses um, in good standing. Um, other candidates like Long Tran uh, talked about making sure that um, all of all of the uh, workers have what they need to do their their jobs. Um, so that's business. Another important topic is immigration. Uh, Marita's Redding is very passionate about supporting the legal immigrants that come here instead of illegal immigrants. Um, she said that she does not want illegal immigrants in the country. Another uh, popular topic is healthcare. Um, Nabila Islam talked about women's rights being taken away, the right to abortion, and how she's going to fight to restore those. And Rua Roman talked about how Georgia has a healthcare problem and that not everybody can afford it. Long Tran also talked about healthcare and about how his father was in a hospital and, um, or his father was having um, problems and they called an ambulance. And even though his father's vitals were okay for the time being, they said that an ambulance would take about two hours to get there. So he was left making the decision on whether to stay um, at the house and just hope for the best or just try and go to the hospital, knowing that they were likely going to be low priority. So I think healthcare, business, immigration, those are some common themes. Education, like I said, is the biggest one, but very much the same issues that you would see in any other community. Absolutely. Uh, focusing more on the community side of the AAPI, what are the concerns that the community has over this election cycle? Because I know these candidates focus are focusing on the key policies. Um, is that the same? Would you say it was the same for the community or is it different? different things looking at? Yeah, I would say overall what the Asian community feels is very similar to what anyone else feels. Like I said, education, healthcare, business, all of those are things that the Asian community want, is very passionate about. I think the one thing that sets uh, the Asian community apart is those March 2021 Atlanta spa shootings. Um, I think that impacts the safety side of things. Um, a couple of the candidates did talk about safety and making sure that um, our Asian people in, um, in Georgia feel safe to go to the stores. Um, something very basic, but something that a lot of people of color struggle with today. Uh, now, Republican candidate Sue Hong held an event with uh, Herschel Walker, who is a former UGA football athlete and also a Senate candidate in the tight race against Raphael Warnock for this uh, election. And they held that event on Friday to celebrate the one-year anniversary uh, since the RNC uh, Asian Pacific American Community Center was made. Uh, how do you feel about the collaboration um, with more people of color in politics personally? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, personally, I am a person of color. I'm Asian American. I'm Chinese. I was adopted when I was one years old. Um, and so I think it's it's a great thing to see more people of color in politics. But I think this race in particular is interesting because... Uh, you know, growing up, not not even growing, well, growing up in Georgia and uh, going to UGA, Herschel Walker is known for his football achievements. And I am of the personal belief that politics uh, should not be a place of fandom. Um, we shouldn't be using fandom as a way to, to gain status in politics. I really think um, if you're going to be a political leader, you need to know uh, the effect that your words have on the large population that is the America and for Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock, uh, that's the state of Georgia. And the reason why I say this is because in 2016, with Donald Trump being president, he said words like Chinese virus, and you saw a uh, rise in Asian hate crime. And I think um, 
if you if you have more knowledge, you would know not to say stuff like that. And so that's why this race in particular is interesting. And I'm glad to see more people of color in politics. However, I think uh, there is a certain education precedent that needs to be upheld. Absolutely. And uh, is there anything you'd like to add before I let you go about any of anything you would like to talk about the election? Um, I think the only thing I can say is just to research every I mean this is just to anyone who's listening but research the names on your ballots um, and and try not to let political party dictate what you vote for research the media and make sure that you are looking at what is actually factual and that's all I can say about that is just make sure you are knowledgeable on your candidates who are going to represent your voice awesome well thank you so much for joining me Libby thank you for having me in the front page podcast make sure to download our app and keep up with us on social media to find more of our podcast episodes visit redandblack.com or find us wherever you listen to podcasts until next time we'll see y'all next week